Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians this morning. We barely started chapter 1. It's my fault. Uh, maybe we can move a little quicker. I'd like to go through this book uh, kind of at a rapid click. It's not too difficult. And when it is, we'll slow down and uh, take care of those passages. Last week, we uh, discussed verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. That's a big little word, that word all. In other words, uh, no matter where you went, the churches lived by the same rules. There was one rule, and that was the rule all the churches uh, followed and the saints followed. Verse 3, you have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace, of course, means favor, the favor of God. And that brings peace for those who have faith. Okay, that's how it works. Sometimes I hear folks say, well, I, I can't feel, I don't feel peace. I'm, uh, I'm distraught. Uh, I worry. Uh, all the time I worry. Um, I, don't, I never mean to be cruel when I say things, but that is a problem that is the result of little faith. And uh, when, I, when I try to explain that to someone, they usually get excited. Well, I have as much faith as you do. Uh, faith does not eradicate worry or anxiety, but it lessens it. Okay, it lessens it because a person of faith uh, knows that always God's in control uh, and in control of my life. Even though I'm just a me, uh, he's still in control of my life as well. Uh, the things we go through, uh, perhaps there's a reason for it that we're not aware of. Uh, but at any rate, um, there's always a better day coming no matter what the problem may be. It can only last a little while, and then it has to go away and leave us alone, and a bright day will dawn on us. The person of faith understands that because they understand that. I'm not saying they don't worry, but it doesn't drive them crazy with worry. Um, there has to be faith. There just has to be faith. Otherwise, we're going to agonize just like all the world does. And we don't have to do that. We, we, can, we, can, we, we can take care of that if we would just learn to have faith. And it has to be learned. I wish it was like the preachers on TV say that faith just bang hit you all of a sudden. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It's, to have faith, it, it takes a lot of work. Jesus explained that to the Jews. The work of God was that they believe. And uh, faith is something we have to work for. And I think because we do have to work for it, some people don't feel like working. And they don't. And because they don't, they suffer from a lack of faith. It's like a, it's like a vicious circle. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. And it makes me sad. 
Okay, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, verses 4 through 9, uh, we'll just uh, discuss what we need to as we pass through it. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Grace is something we received freely. It was given to us, and it was by or through the Lord Jesus Christ. He made that possible. Uh, we, were, we were on death row. We were destined to die the eternal death. Uh, and there was nothing we could do about it, no, nothing at all. And then the Lord Jesus willingly uh, died uh, a horrible, horrible death. Uh, he bore our sins. He accomplished what had to be accomplished, and that was live the perfect life as a man. He did that. He overcome every temptation, unlike us. And because of the blood, the payment for our sins, he made it possible for God to forgive us. That's the only way God could possibly forgive us. Uh, there, was, uh, there was no sacrifice to be made on the earth, not animal, not even human. There was no sacrifice. The only way God could redeem the sins of people was to pay the price himself. And Jesus Christ did. And grace was given to us, compliments of the Lord. This grace was given to us that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and knowledge. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. We all know that. But notice what he said. At that time, he made that, this statement. The Lord Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There were no more spiritual blessings that would come. They had all come. Now, these same spiritual blessings would be bestowed on disciples through the years, but there was not going to be anything new added to what the Lord accomplished 2,000 years ago. Now, some people, they talk about new revelations, and they, uh, they teach people uh, what the Lord said to them. I listened to a guy yesterday. Yeah, he made that very statement. The Lord wanted him to tell them thus and so, and he did. No, he was lying. The Lord didn't tell him to reveal anything. Every spiritual blessing was bestowed upon the race 2,000 years ago. And the statement of Paul makes that crystal clear. You were enriched in everything. Enriched. Um, uh, you, were, you were given uh, an abundance of everything in him, by him, in all utterance and all knowledge. Uh, the knowledge, of course, would be the revelation of God's will, the New Testament that we have. And uh, the utterance, of course, would be the knowledge that flowed from our mouths. He had given us uh, every spiritual blessing to accomplish all things he wants us to accomplish while we're in this world. 
that has been done. Now, that has nothing to do with God working providentially. It has nothing to do with God working miraculously, if he so chooses to do. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. The, the, the scriptures teach us that the Lord uh, took away uh, spiritual gifts, and indeed he did. And those miracles that were performed by men are no longer performed by men. Men cannot perform miraculous gifts any longer because they're gone. They've been put away. But God, who has always worked with the race in miraculous measures when the situations demanded it, still has the same power and capacity that he had at that time. It's, uh, I don't believe we have any reason to say that the Lord cannot do the miraculous thing if he chooses to do so. Uh, I would never make a statement like that. I used to did. And then I, well, then I, I learned the truth. And what I believed previously had to stop and give way to what I now know to be correct. If the Lord wants to intervene in the life, he can do that. Uh, we pray, and sometimes due to our prayers, the Lord works providentially through us. But who's to say that he cannot work miraculously? I've seen times, several times actually in my life, where if the Lord didn't inject himself into the situation, I don't know how what happened could have happened. Uh, I've had a number of doctors tell me uh, they can't explain what happened. They don't know how it happened. It wasn't supposed to have happened. It was an impossible situation. And the next thing you knew, um, the person was recovering from an illness. Uh, I, I stood there in awe. Uh, it wasn't me. Whatever happened, it had nothing to do with me except for the fact maybe that I prayed. But uh, the power, uh, the glory that accomplished whatever was accomplished belongs to God alone. And uh, I don't know what happened. I would never venture to say that a miracle took place, but uh, I can't say it didn't either. Uh, I was always uh, very happy that what happened happened. Uh, and of course we know that uh, every pregnancy is a miraculous occurrence. Uh, the Lord told us in Zechariah chapter 12 verse one, that the Lord forms the spirit, creates the spirit, and fuses it into the body of the uh, newly conceived child. Uh, that's a divine intervention. There's no way around it. Uh, God intervenes in life when he chooses to. I don't want to limit God. I'm not going to try to read the mind of God. And I'm certainly not going to declare what I think might have happened to have happened because I don't know. 
whether providence or miraculously, I don't know. Uh, but I'm satisfied that God is powerful and he can do whatever he chooses to do. I don't think it's wise for us to put limitations on the Lord. We are to pray in faith, believing that God can do what we ask him to do. Believe it, because he can. Unbelief will get us nowhere. Any questions or comments over that mouthful? I know that's a hateful subject for us because we've always been against such speech. Uh, I don't mean to offend anyone at all. Uh, and don't think I haven't thought about this long and hard, because <laughs> I have. Uh, God is good. God is good. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, uh, established, this at that time, of course, was done by the means of miracles, uh, the miraculous gifts that certain men had, uh, healing the sick, uh, whatever they may have done. Uh, there was confirmation, bang, that the knowledge they received was of divine origin, and they could believe it, confirmed in you. The testimony of Christ was so that you should come short and no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there were nine gifts that the apostles uh, could distribute. Uh, they were the only ones that could distribute nine gifts. Other people who distributed gifts, it appears to me, could only distribute one, two, or three. Uh, the only people who actually possessed all gifts uh, were the apostles. It was an assign, a sign that this person was indeed an apostle, and he had the nine gifts to back it up. Um, but there were others who could distribute gifts. But the statement is made here by Paul that they came short in no gift. Uh, did they have all the gifts in the church of Corinth? I don't know. Uh, did they have all the gifts that other churches had in the region or in Asia Minor, uh, yeah, they had what the other churches had. They came short and no gift. Uh, they, they were up to date, so to speak. Who will also confirm you or establish you, this is Jesus' will, uh, to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Who, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord has confirmed us, and he can keep us until the day of the Lord Jesus. We've talked, uh, we've talked uh, a great deal through the years about uh, God's uh, second pardon of forgiveness, uh, our, our praying to the Lord for forgiveness when we commit sin. And we've also discussed the fact that there are sins we may commit that the Lord forgives uh, that we were not aware of, 1 John 1, 7, uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, there are uh, some sins we may be guilty of, but totally unaware of, and the blood of Christ just keeps on washing away our sins. He keeps us blameless to the end. 
Now, what about the person who sins and won't ask for forgiveness? You know what happens as good as I do. Uh, he'll have to bear his sin unless he repents of it. He'll have to bear that sin. He's got to confess it. He's got to be rid of it in order to be blameless. Uh, and if he does, he will be kept unto the end. If he does not, if pride gets the better of him, uh, he'll sink be because of his pride. And I think a lot of times and uh, that's what uh, keeps people from truly repenting of their sins is pride. One reason, of course, is an unwillingness to give up the sin. Uh, you like the sin. It, it's enjoyable. It brings you pleasure. Uh, it's comfortable. Uh, it's the way you want to live, whatever. Sometimes uh, because we enjoy the sin, we won't give it up. But I think a lot of times it's because of pride we won't give it up. Uh, it, it's not easy for us to admit our failures. None of us like doing it, but it's something we got to do. The Lord can confirm us to the end, but we're going to have to do our part also. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a true statement, what Paul says. Okay, we go on now to divisions in the church, and this is one of those slow texts. Uh, we'll, I want to read it first because it's talking about a specific subject, and then we will uh, go back and analyze it. Just, just a second, though. Huh. That looks like a pendulum on a clock swinging around down there. Oh. I tell you what, my golden years are just a little bit tarnished. Okay, let's see what we got. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, let's go back and see what the meaning of the text is. Uh, I plead with you. He's begging them. There's a serious problem at Corinth. It's a horrible, horrible sin. And he's begging them by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the mercies of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, 
the grace of Christ, I am begging you to consider what you're doing, basically. <clears throat> that you all speak the same thing. This, of course, has to do with the gospel. That's very important. Uh, in Romans 15 and 6, Paul said we are to be of one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the unity of the church of God. In John 13, 34, and 5, we can read about Christ's desire for our unity. We can also read about it in John 17, verse 21, and continuing onward. A person, I think, who's about to die will tell his family, if he gets a chance to, he'll tell his family what he believes they need to hear. I, I think I would do that. Uh, that would be my great concern, what's going to become of my family. And I, I would talk to them in earnest, begging them uh, to follow Jesus and to meet me in heaven. That would be so important to me. That would be important beyond measure. Uh, that was what would be on my mind. If they had sin and I was aware of it, I would try to persuade them to quit sinning. I'd, I'd call them by name. You've got to stop sinning or you're going to lose your soul. Whatever would hinder them from going to heaven would be right here in the very front of my mind. And I would beg them, my last opportunity to speak, I would beg them not to continue the course they're following. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he prayed for the unity of his church. His prayer was that they all, Father, might be one, just as you and I are one, that they too might be one in us. We know the Father and Son and the Spirit have no divisions among them. They are in sync. And his prayer was that his people on earth would be in sync with him. If we're with him, we have to be in sync, right? There's one God, and if we're with God, we have to be in sync. There's no way around it. Uh, we are to speak the same thing with one mind and one mouth. Now, look at the world today. There are so many denominations and each is a testimony of a people who refuse to honor the prayer Christ prayed the night he was crucified. If we depart from the word of God and that's what has to happen to have denominations. There has to be a departure. Uh, if there were no departures, we would be one. 
but there had to be a departure. There's no way around it. And the departure occurs either because somebody wanted to do something the Lord did not authorize, or they didn't want to do something that the Lord did authorize. And because of the division between the groups and the churches, because of the separation that existed, uh, a fracture, a rupture occurred. And usually the smaller group broke off and began a church of their own, Church of John, for example. Uh, and we taught what we believed. But our doing that, our breaking off, our dividing the Church of Christ was a, one of the most terrible sins that a being can commit. I can't think of anything somebody would do that would make me more angry than to beat up my BR, mutilator in every way possible. I would be so furious, I'd be afraid to see myself. Do you suppose that Jesus feels that way about his wife as well? Some, sometimes we, we look at things and we don't think of it as a serious thing. But the church is the bride of Christ. That's his wife people are messing with. If I mess with the church, I'm messing with the bride of Christ. And he's not just going to take that. There's going to be ramifications for my actions. There are going to be consequences that are definitely going to follow. Today, I don't know how many denominations there are anymore. They multiply so fast, you can't even keep up with them. But it's the very opposite of what Jesus prayed for in a long ago. Today, people say it's good. It's good that there are divisions. Division is a good thing. I heard President Bill Clinton make that statement one time. Division is a good thing. We call ourselves the United States of America, Mr. President, but division is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's supposed to be unity. It's supposed to be the one mind and one mouth. And that's not the way it is. Are there any uh, comments on, on, on that? Th this is the big discussion of verses 10 through 17. Let's go on and look at what Paul had to say about it. That there will be no divisions among you. He wrote about that a whole lot, as did Peter and the rest. Uh, there should be no divisions in the church. The church should be one. There shouldn't be group A and group B. It should be one church, one whole bride not divided, that you be perfectly joined together. I don't know. I've heard of people falling out over uh, three feet of land or something. You put my fence on the wrong side of that tree, and two brethren, well, they, call, they said they were, they have a terrible falling out over it because of uh, this much land or something, something like that. That is a demonstration of a most ungodly spirit that would do something like that, fractured the Church of Christ over a tree. 
It's sad, but I've been told that such things have happened in the past. Uh, the church that we like to think of as being so strong historically, I don't think it really was, not as much as we've been taught. Uh, a lot of people had a lot of strange beliefs when it came to the gospel of Christ, uh, and it did cause divisions. Look at all the silliness that goes on. You know, one cup or multiple cups, putting a, a, a napkin or a sheet over the trays or putting a steel cover over them. The things that have happened are so silly. Uh, how could godly spirits have done such a thing? It's more like godless spirits who feigned to be Christians and it caused a lot of damage. We're one of the most despised churches there is. You know, you, you say, I, I'm a member of the Church of Christ, and somebody says, oh, you're one of those, huh? Yeah, I'm one of those. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, we got a bad name, let's face it. We're not considered good people. We're not considered spiritual people. Uh, we, we just like the, uh, one of the Bible thumpers. We're called oftentimes. Uh, it hinders trying to uh, spread the gospel. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to make disciples is because uh, we're disliked. Uh, not because people actually know us, but because their mom and daddy didn't like us. And now they've grown up and they don't like us. Uh, it's, it's, it, it really stands out to me that when I went to India, uh, I talked to denomin denominational people over there, and I've seen entire congregations become Christians just because uh, I explained to them uh, the purpose of baptism and why we don't use mechanical music, you know, the things people dislike us for. Uh, I, I, I explained it, they read it in their Bibles, and, and they were satisfied. I remember one discussion I had, uh, there was a woman preacher, I forgot, I think it was the Church of God maybe, but uh, her and uh, her church was there and uh, she, uh, she wanted to ask a question. The brethren didn't want a letter and I found out what she was wanting to ask and I said, let her ask her if she wants to. And she, she was really tore up about baptism. I said, well, Ask your question. So she asked it. Uh, I went. Uh, I went all the way back to Moses, I believe, and I started with Moses. And or no, I didn't. I went back to Noah. I started with Noah, and I, I showed the significance of water in God's dealings with men, and we came forward from that. Well. That has nothing to do with baptism today. I realize that. But the use of God using water uh, is significant. That he did use water to separate people from death. And he did it on a number of occasions. And we come all the way forward and we come into the New Testament. And uh, finally I, I got to uh, Acts twenty two sixteen, And... Uh, when Ananias told Paul, why are you waiting to rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins? And uh, I discussed that, and she stood there. I said, are you satisfied with that, or do I need to keep talking? 
And she said, well, I would like to be baptized into Christ. So, uh, I don't know. I didn't have whatever I said, I said it. And then uh, they had their, what do they call I forgot what they called it. Uh, but they encouraged people to come forward like we do, except I, I can't do that because it's against the law. Uh, they encouraged their people to come forward, and uh, her whole congregation came forward and they were all baptized. That won't happen in the United States. <laughs> that won't happen here. It's just not gonna be. Uh, it's not a matter of the truth anymore. It's not what it's about. It's a matter of defending our turf. Now, there's a lot of our folks that are that way too. They don't know what they're talking about. They, they'll get out there and yam, yam, yam about how it's supposed to be and, and have a fight with uh, somebody, a Baptist or Methodist or whatever it might be. They don't really know what they're talking about, but they talk nonetheless. And uh, of course, uh, there's animosity between the two people, two groups. And today, people seem to be so set in their ways. It's not about the truth. Uh, I was born a member of the Church of Christ. I'll die a member of the Church of Christ. Well, why would you do that, you may ask? And the answer will be because that's the right thing to do. But why? Because that's the right thing to do. I agree with you. It's the right thing to do. But why? And there's no answer. Um, the Church of Christ, in a, in a large measure, is a denomination. There's a segment of the Church of Christ that is not a denomination. But there is a segment of the Christ that is a denomination, just as much as a Baptist or Methodist or anything else. This is hard to understand. It's hard to understand how it can be that way. But the same mindset exists in both groups of people the exact same mindset. I am what I am, and this will be what I am when I die. There's not a lick of difference between the two. They are of one mind, one mouth, each def defending a different sect, but each being of the same mind. There's no difference between them. Uh, we don't want to do that now. We don't want to we don't want to uh, uh, do what we do because it's the right thing to do. We want to do what we do because we know this is what the Lord wants us to do. There are answers to those questions. There are reasons why we do the things we do. And if we know the reasons why the Lord has instructed us to do a thing, we know what the results are then we can do it because we now know this is the will of God and this is what I'm going to do. To be a true, to be purely a New Testament Christian, we have to individually follow Christ and collectively follow Christ. But we don't want to be sectarian in spirit. And it exists. It's an, it's an invisible markings, but it exists. 
but we're not going to let that happen because we know it exists and we're going to avoid it. To be of the same mind and the same judgment. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you. Notice if we want the God of peace to be with us, we must be of good comfort, one mind, and living in peace with ourselves, with ourselves. Remember the context. This is about our relationship to one another. If we want God to be with us, if I want God to be with me, I should do everything in my power to make the church one. This is what we do with our families, is it not? If we see a division between our children, what do we do? We take that division, we throw it on the floor, we shoot it with a stock shotgun, and we start stepping on it. Because the last thing we want is for our children to despise, detest one another. And we do everything in our power to keep that from happening. We do the same thing with our marriages. And let's face it, marriage has its times. It has its times when you feel like you're going to pull your hair out or blow up, one or the other. But we're determined, we're determined that our marriage will not dissolve. And because we are determined, this isn't a Hallmark movie we're going through. We're going through real life. We've made a decision. We're not getting no divorce and we do everything in our power to keep our family together. We give, we take, we sacrifice, we bend over backwards when we're required to because we want our families to stay together. That's the way we're supposed to feel about the church at Center Grove also. It's very, very important to me that the church here be of one mind. It's very important to me that we all go to heaven I know how to get us there. I know what we need to know. And I do everything in my power to communicate that. Because failure is just not an option. It's not an option. This, this, this is for real. This is for real. <clears throat> for it has been clear to me concerning you, my brethren, <clears throat> by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. The word contentions means quarreling. There's quarreling among you. Uh, it's described as a work of the flesh by Paul the Apostle. In James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, James said, Where do wars and fights come from among you? What causes that? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your members? Why do two men fight over a tree? It's lust. Lust, I, that's my tree. And no matter what I have to do, I'm keeping it. Is it really worth it? Is, really, is a tree or a foot of land, is it really worth it? I mean, give me a break. I know it's happened as far as a couple feet of land regarding a fence, uh, and it's sad, especially when it's two brethren. It's really sad. You lust, you do not have. 
You murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you go to war with one another. Well, we'll have to stop right there. Because he said so. We'll, uh, God willing, we'll take up with uh, verse 17, or 1 Corinthians, verse 17.